Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining us today, we have Elizabeth. Are you there? Yes, I'm here, Amanda. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining. Would you mind doing um, a a brief intro or bio about yourself for our listeners? Sure. Uh, So first, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity to share the information uh, about the restriction and behavior analysis in New York State. Um, I really do appreciate your time. So I wanted to to say that first and foremost. Um, So as you mentioned, my name is Elizabeth Drago. I am a board certified and licensed behavior analyst in the state of New York. I've been practicing in the field since 2002. Um, I received my bachelor's from St. John's University, my master's from Columbia University, and I completed my BCBA coursework at Penn State University. Um, When I first entered into the field, I worked with um, adults with developmental and intellectual disabilities in residential treatment settings in urban areas of New York City. Um, Currently, I'm working for a wonderful agency called Proud Moments ABA. Um, Dr. Bobby Newman is the executive director of that agency. And there, I'm providing home-based behavior analytics services to children diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders. Um, I'm also a board member Uh, serving the role of representative at large for the New York State Association for Behavior Analysis. We call it NYSABA. Um, I really became actively involved in NYSABA's legislative committee last legislative session, uh, which was last year, and I never looked back. So I caught the bug, so to speak, (laughs) to get involved with policy change, um, and it's been uh, quite a ride since. Um, So the main goal of that legislative committee is to advocate for the removal of the New York State Licensure Law scope restriction on behavior analysis. So New York is one of 30 states, I believe, that currently regulate the practice, and when you talk about the scope restriction, can you elaborate for um, those who aren't familiar, what is the restriction? Yes. So um, I'm going to paraphrase the description of what the restriction is according to the New York State Education Law in 2014. Um, So a licensed behavior analyst provides services and activities to produce socially and significant improvement in human behavior. And this is the key point. In accordance to a diagnosis and prescription for the purpose of providing behavioral health treatments for persons with autism spectrum disorders and related disorders. And so um, basically what that means is in New York State, the only individuals who uh, legally qualify for ABA services by licensed behavior analysts or LBAs um, are those that have a diagnosis of ASD or related disorders and has a prescription for ABA services. Um, There are some exemptions to that, which I can discuss later on in our chat, Um, but there are some exemptions to that where an LBA is able to work um, with other individuals not uh, diagnosed with ASD. Just so people are clear, when we think about the um, insurance legislation that's passed, a lot of the insurance legislation is specific to autism, but what we're talking about here is the licensure 
um, which really looks to regulate the practice of behavior analysis. And in no other state is the restriction specific to the population of autism. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Um, just to give you a timeline of how this scope restriction happened, um, in 2012, the, in, the autism insurance reform law passed, and then at that point, Department of Financial Services, um, CSS, required licensed providers. And, you know, because of that, um, this prevented families from accessing insurance reimbursement. Um, so then in 2013, the behavior analysis licensure bill was introduced. Um, and then at that point, DSS allowed DCBAs to provide services temporarily. Um, and then 2014, the uh, New York Applied Behavior Analysis Licensure Law passed with the scope restriction. Um, and then 2017, our bills were introduced to remove that scope restriction. Um, and in speaking to what you had mentioned, as far as the, um, the states, there are 30 states currently across the country. Um, that have recognized the profession of behavior analysis through licensure. And as you mentioned, New York State's the only state that's defined by and restricts the scope of practice to individuals with a particular diagnosis. Um, and so, you know, when you think of this as an analogy, let's just say, uh, in, let's we use a, a medical model here. So let's say we have a cardiologist, all right? Um, and if we apply the scope restriction to that profession, this cardiologist can only work with patients who are diagnosed with heart disease, let's just say, but cannot work with individuals diagnosed with hypertension, um, which, as we know, cardiologists are more than capable of, um, of working with individuals with such um, diagnosis. And so, you know, that really puts it into um, a more understandable framework of what we're dealing with here. Um, it is essentially discrimination, um, discrimination based upon disability, if we think about it in those terms. When I think about, um, you know, all the different licensure laws, there are states that have done unique things, and some have been really helpful, and some have played out to be quite detrimental, um, or just in the, the way that they have been interpreted at the very least, maybe not the way they were in, intended. When I think about that, those states, I think about New York for the restriction to the population. I think about North Carolina for the restriction to psychologists for practicing with oversight of another profession. And then also, I mean, some, for some of the listeners who are familiar, um, in Hawaii, we have a, a difference in the sense that we require RBTs in our state and we did not carve out our Department of Education. So we are having a lot of ongoing discussions and legislative initiatives related to um, what is that going to look like in the schools and what is that going to look like through the state. And mm -hmm. when you and I first connected, Elizabeth, it was, um, I think, in a reaction to the, the advocacy episode on why don't more people get involved. And some of the reasons are, you know, it's effortful, it's confusing, it's uh, wordy. Yeah. Um, so you said once you got started, you – you never turned back. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you mind ex explaining for us a little bit about what it's been like for you to be a part of that legislative committee or, or, or what initiatives or what kind of kept you not wanting to turn around? <laughs> sure, yeah. So when I started this journey last year, um, 
I've never been involved with public policy change before. Um, you know, speaking to legislators was such a uh, intimidating thing for me. I've never done it. And so when I was presented this opportunity, I was a little hesitant because of that reason. But I saw the bigger picture, uh, you know, of you know, my profession and, and trying to remove the scope restriction. I just I went I just went all in. Um, and really the turning point for me was attending a rally, a lobbying um, couple of days in Albany. That was the turning point for me. It was extremely effortful, which, again, you know, going back to what you had said, I have a family, you know, I have a job. <laughs> I, I do live in New York, yes. I live on eastern Long Island, um, and New York is very large. And so, you know, me traveling from Long Island to Albany is at least a three-hour drive. And so I had a lot of competing contingencies of should I go, should I not go. It's, you know, optional to do it. So I said, I'm going to go. Um, and that was the turning point, actually coming into contact with just the vibe, you know, to use the word, <laughs> of being, you know, in such uh, a place where you can make such an impact um, through law, through policy change, speaking with these legislators face-to-face, -face, you know, at the Capitol. It's just incredibly um, something that it's difficult to put into words, but to me just really um, spoke to me in a way I never thought would happen. And it just motivated me to continue. Um, you know, the committee members I work with are just incredibly motivating uh, and so knowledgeable, um, you know, in the legislative process that they keep me going. Because as you mentioned, you know, accessing reinforcement in a legislative process is so delayed at times. You know, we may not see change for some time. And, you know, having that strong support um, network to keep you going is extremely critical. And so I'm fortunate enough to have that. That community can be everything. And yeah, you have to have those immediate contacts. Um, for me, it was 2014 when we were not successful in getting licensure or insurance. Uh, I think we were just looking at insurance that year passed. And it was an invite to the behavioral certification board. And they had uh, two or three people from states that were recently licensed or looking to be licensed. And um, we focused on New York and we talked about North Carolina. And I want to just take this opportunity to shout out um, like Dr. Gina Green with the Association for the Profession of Behavior Analysts, Dr. Jim Carr, Dr. Eric Larson, the UNAMs, you know, with mm -hmm. Autism Speaks, <clears throat> even yes. though we are looking to make sure that our, our practice isn't restricted to a certain population, we can all acknowledge that autism has been a big part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. We just don't want it to be the only part. Um, how have yeah. you guys found that support and guidance? And um, are there any sort of mentors either within the state or, you know, from outside that's been helping you guys or anyone that you've contacted? Yeah, so, you know, the people you have mentioned, I know Gina Green has been involved in helping the effort. Um, I know we've been in touch with Autism Speaks um, to help us with this effort. And so we do have a lot of support. Uh, which is excellent. Um, you know, we just started the new legislative session 
recently, and we have uh, so many initiatives that we have planned to, you know, rally and to just gain additional support. So it's a continual process, and, you know, we have a really good uh, supportive system. Awesome. I think it's really important for people to know that when we are looking at these kinds of things, we don't have to do them alone. Um, mm-hmm. They feel very overwhelming. Um, yeah. But also I think the importance of the state chapter comes to mind. And in some states it doesn't exist. In other states, if you get involved, you will be the energy of that state chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, in other places it's more established. You know, for me, I um, had the opportunity to, to train in Massachusetts and was able to, to engage in some of these things with mentors there before perhaps fighting off more than we could chew here in Hawaii. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um I know that there had been some discussion, too, about um, a lot of times it comes down to really, I think, fine-tuning our language. And we, we mm-hmm. as behavior analysts, can have an opportunity to, you know, to what we understand with verbal behavior to adjust some of this. But when we're talking about law, things mm-hmm. like and and or, a comma, um, a but, uh, mm-hmm. scope versus, you know, confidence, those kinds of different things get defined differently and can make a huge mm-hmm. difference. Um, is there anything that with the language of the bill or you guys have a current bill now um, that people need to be aware of or that is something that has been intentionally done differently that you can speak to? Yeah, so um, I'll describe to you what our legislative bill um, currently reflects. And I'll paraphrase it. Um, so obviously it relates to the practice of behavior analysis. Um, and what we're trying to do is remove the requirement for a diagnosis and prescription. Um, a diagnosis of, of autism spectrum and related disorders and a prescription for ABA services and treatment. Um, and so that is, that's basically um, what our bill entails. And currently we have um, a number for our assembly. Um, our spokesperson is um, Assemblywoman Crystal People Stokes. Uh, right now for the Senate, we're still waiting for the bill number. We need a sponsor, uh, which we're working on currently. Um, and so that's where we are as, as far as uh, the bill goes and what the bill, you know, the wording of that bill. And with bills and the wording, I think a lot of people also don't realize that that can change multiple times in a legislative session. So, yeah, it starts where it starts. And so a lot of times you ask for that favor, right? Well, you sponsor this bill. You have to get typically constituents or someone who lives in that area um, is most compelling to a legislator. And, yeah. and a lot of bills that are, at least in Hawaii, we have something like 3,000 bills that are introduced every year. And of those 3,000, 300 will likely yeah. become a law. So we're yeah. looking at a very small percentage. And, and this can be a multi-year process. I think when I'm hearing you speak about the restrictions, it sounds like the requirements placed by insurers. So in in Hawaii, for example, um, a requirement for receiving these services or for them being reimbursed by insurance might be a diagnosis and a prescription. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing that requires that from the general population who wants to access ABA services. Mm-hmm. So it, it, sometimes we have found it came down to us saying, look, here's what is ethically appropriate. Here is what makes sense, right? Like, you know, speech and language 
pathologists are not restricted to working with just stroke patients, right? That's yeah. not what they do. They work on articulation. They work on mm-hmm. language acquisition. They work mm-hmm. on all sorts of different oral motor um, uh, kinds of skills. They do not work with a population. And I think the benefit um, uh, and of, you know, autism really kind of bringing behavior analysis to the masses in some ways has been a detriment in the sense that it gets so tightly paired together that that's all people hear. And um, I know you and I had talked about even just using the phrase ABA, right? Yeah. And yeah. we were talking about how you might talk about that differently. Do you want to share some of yeah. that kind of uh, information with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, any sort of writing that I do, whether it is for um, a survey that I'm distributing or um, an action alert flyer, I try to avoid writing, um, you know, the acronym ABA because it has the association to autism. And so, you know, I usually like to write out and when I'm talking, I use the words behavior analysis um, because ABA, you know, the treatment has been proven effective for a multitude of demographics. So individuals diagnosed with Down syndrome, um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, um, traumatic brain injuries, cognitive dysfunction associated with age. So, you know, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, even substance abuse, addiction, and addiction. These things have all been documented as um, being effectively treated with behavior analytic um, strategies and interventions. So, yeah, I try not to to use ABA um, too often in my in my language or even in my um, my written language. You know, something similarly that we're encountering in Hawaii is about functional behavior assessments and. In the schools, they would have what they called an SBA slash BSP. So it was intended to be a functional behavior assessment and a behavior support plan. But in essence, what it turned into was like a um, almost like an ABC chart across three pages. And so when we are talking about a formalized functional behavior assessment here, I am careful not to use the letters SBA on their own without mm-hmm. sort of retraining and re-kind of conditioning, like we should be looking for a report. It should have these components. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe one day we can also say functional behavior assessment, parentheses, SBA. But mm-hmm. right now it is a little bit of that counter conditioning or trying to uh, disassociate that pairing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before we end the call today, I definitely want to give you an opportunity to share with us about the efforts, about initiatives, about any actions that you would like to see from um, behavior analysts or your community in New York and anything that you think anyone else can do to help and to show our support of your efforts as well. Yeah, sure. So we do have a number of initiatives lined up for the um, legislative session. Um, we have a, uh, a movement, so to speak, on Facebook. It's hashtag SpeakUpABA. It's, um, it's a group page that um, provides updates on, you know, where we're at with legislation, any sort of information related to um, special events such as rallies or lobby days. Um, action alerts, these sorts of things. Um, NYSABA has a website and a family link that um, provides updates on legislation, and um, anyone can contact us through the Legislative Committee email, which I'll I'll provide all this information to you. I can always email it to you so you can um, 
distribute it to anyone interested. Um, we also have a Remind app where people can text at NYSABA to 81010, and you'll get automatic updates with that, which is excellent because it just provides you with immediate um, access to information, and it's effortless. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. Um, free webinars we're offering. Um, we're right now in the process of developing um, a webinar to explain the restriction and to um, let anyone know who's interested, you know, how they can help us with these efforts. Um, I myself uh, have provided free SEPTA and PTA trainings in my district um, because we were finding it is so effortful for parents to come to us, so let's go to them, you know, in their natural uh, daily routine, if they attend these meetings monthly, hey, can we, you know, come in and present, you know, about this information? And so I've done that, and I've gotten a lot of uh, feedback, positive feedback from parents um, who have no understanding, and they they weren't aware any of this was, um, you know, occurring um, as far as uh, certain services being held from their children who don't have this diagnosis of ASD. Um, we do have lobby days scheduled. Um, we have four scheduled in um, April, May, and June. Resource fairs, media involvement, <laughs> it goes on and on. We're really definitely, you know, trying to get the word out there, and we we're, we're, have such a, a great team, and everyone is so committed. And, um, you know, hopefully this, this year will be our year, I'm hoping. <laughs> All it takes is one good year. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what we have found, you know. Yes. It's, it's harder to um, have a bill pass than it is to um, be able to change and adjust something. So that's why in a lot of states when autism initiatives or insurance initiatives started off with, like, age caps of, six, you know, six years old or dollar caps of $10,000, a lot of the thought behind that was, get something on the books, and then shape it up. And if we can find federal restrictions or federal protections that we can say, hey, did you know actually an agent dollar cap is a violation of the Mental Health Addiction and uh, Education Parity Act? Or did you know, and it's like, oh, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. a violation of the Affordable Care Act, right? Or if we right. say, hey, I mean, if you look at what's happening right now in New York, you definitely could probably I'm not a lawyer, but take the stance that this is a discrimination issue for Americans with disabilities, right? This is saying unless you have this one disability, which is not usually how we anticipate discrimination to occur with disability communities, but it's saying that unless you have autism, you must forego access to effective uh, applied behavior analytic treatment. And that is definitely, I would imagine, not the intention of even probably the opposition, um, if you were to put it in words like that, they would it would probably be coming from another place of another sphere. And mm -hmm. as behavior analysts, it's up to us to figure that out. Well, yeah. Elizabeth, thank you for for all the efforts and for reaching out and for having these ongoing initiatives and conversations. And you know, I would tell everyone, please join your state chapter or look into joining your state chapter. Um, a $10, $20, $30 dues can help bring speakers, can help fund lobbyists, can help um, make connections that can be uh, instrumental to the change. And um, thanks for joining us, and, and let us know if there's anything else we can do. Yes, thank you so much again, Amanda, for having me, and I will. I'll, I'll, I'll give you updates, absolutely. <laughs>
And for anyone who's interested in more information, I do have a specific ABA and advocacy page on the Behavior Babe website. You can check that out by going to www.behaviorbabe.com. Mm-hmm.